Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon. And welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon from after the news at 4 until 5, coming up on our 29th anniversary. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. And you can go to SoundCloud and do the same thing. This Thursday, after the news is 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. My rule is I take today's calls first and then today's texts, and then if I have any leftover texts, I do my best to answer those as well. I do not have any today, so we have the opportunity for an hour of bloviation, or you can help me with this by calling when you have a financial or investment planning question at 512-836-0590. While I know that we have listeners outside Central Texas, uh, I did see some information that I thought was interesting. I have no reason to think it's completely different regarding residential real estate throughout the area. But this is a September 23rd market report. It says, in the Austin Round Rock metropolitan area, housing inventory reached 4.0 months of inventory. That's the highest level in more than eight years according to the Austin Board of Realtors, September 2023, Central Texas Housing Report. The market also experienced a drop in closed sales, which decreased by 18.2% year-over-year to 2,387 sales, and the median closed price dipped 4.3% year-over-year to $452,080 both symptomatic of higher mortgage rates. And then they broke down the uh, housing market in the Austin Round Rock metropolitan area. Total sales were 2,387. The median price, which is in my view better than the average price because a few higher priced homes can drive that uh, number higher. The median sales price was 452,080, and as I said, four months of inventory. That's an average price per square foot of $273, and the days on the market was 65. But when you also look at what they call the luxury homes, million dollars plus, and I think a lot of people listening would say that there are an awful lot of homes in this area that are above million dollars. There were 182 sales versus 2,387 of the others, and the uh, sales price was a million seven forty-three. And I thought this was interesting. The rest of the market had four months of inventory. In the so-called luxury home market, there were 9.1 months of inventory and actually slightly fewer days on the market, 65 for everybody else, and for above a million dollars, 59 days on the market. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 
8360590. Here's a text. Hi, Carl. I was reading the U.S. federal government will have to refinance 50% of all debt during the next three years. With Will the, this result in higher bond yields for buyers if the demand for U.S. debt is weak? So let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, I don't know why, but for years, people, I don't know why the government didn't do this. For years, when interest rates were so low, a lot of pundits said, why don't you extend the maturities of the government debt? By, when you're borrowing money, why not borrow it for 10 years or 20 years when rates were so low? Nevertheless, uh, that was not the, the, the policy. And so uh, the government will continue to borrow for two reasons, because there's, ex there's existing debt will mature, and because, I know you'll be shocked by this, we spend more than we take in, and so we add to the debt with that annual deficit. I was unaware that 50% of all the debt in the next three years will mature. So I can't speak to that, but would that result in uh, the demand for debt being weak? The answer is a qualified yes. It also depends on what's going on around the world. The Japanese have been our largest uh, foreign holders of U.S. Tre Treasury debt, and I read that they recently have been purchasing less. Also, the Treasury, uh, the uh, Federal Reserve had... Uh, with policies, the Treasury had bought, bought debt, and that was called quantitative easing, and now they're letting that debt roll off and not buying more. That's called quantitative tightening. So the answer to your question is probably if there's more supply uh, and demand doesn't change, then yields are going to go higher and bond prices are going to go lower. But other things drive bond prices, certainly Fed policies we've seen with the uh, discount rate going from virtually zero to five and a quarter percent. And then you have also, you, it's hard to know what happens geopolitically uh, if there were some kind of significant military action involving the U.S., what that would do historically when things, very bad, unexpected things happen. Uh, it may be very bad for stocks and it may be very bad for high yield bonds, but it's actually been good uh, for U.S. Treasuries. I th probably, in my memory, the most notable example of that was at the beginning of the global financial crisis. Uh, none of us really understood how bad uh, things were going to get, how bad the uh, mortgage market was, and uh, how many homes were going to uh, basically be foreclosed upon. And in that year of 2008, which was a terrible year for investors, uh, pretty much no matter what asset class you had, with the one notable exception, which was treasuries. When, when it looked like the financial markets on a global basis were in real trouble, people sought what they perceived to be safety and they bought U.S. treasuries. So I guess the bottom line is, Technically, if there's more debt that needs to be uh, issued and purchased, it should drive rates higher, but there's several other really significant factors that would help also determine what occurred. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Don, you're on the air. How may I help? Don? Hey, Carl. Hi. Sorry about that. Um, it's okay. Telling the uh, screener, I've got about 30000 in cash that I really don't need to touch, and mm -hmm. I've been using online banks, which are returning 
a little better than 5% and have been for better than two years. Uh-huh. Is there anything, any place uh, you would suggest putting that money, if I don't need to touch it for roughly next six months at least, anything that would be uh, returning better that I ought to consider? I think six months is such a short time. About the only thing that comes immediately to my mind is uh, either a prime or a government money market fund because what they're they're paying over five percent like what you're getting. You have daily liquidity, but they own paper that they bought six months ago, nine months ago that's maturing, and they'll be replacing that with uh, with uh, short-term debt obligations now. And it's entirely plausible that over that period of time, you get slightly higher overall yield on a money market fund than what you're doing now. Um, They're not insured, although frankly, I'm very comfortable with that. There are really three types, Don. There's what are called prime market, prime funds, and they buy investment grade corporate short-term debt. There's also what are called government funds. They buy U.S. Treasuries and government-sponsored agencies. That would be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, in fact, they're now government-owned. And then the third is called Treasury, and they buy strictly Treasury securities. As you would predict, uh, as you go from prime to government to Treasuries, you get slightly less yield. But all the big uh, firms, Fidelity, Vanguard, everybody else has a money market fund. Uh, and I would check that out uh, and see if, 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 you, if you get a little extra pickup in yield. Certainly, the Federal Reserve has indicated they're not about to lower rates. So the odds that you're going to get a lowering yield are quite low, and you might get some slightly higher as older paper matures. That would be a place I would take a look if I were you. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, it. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. A perfect time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to visit with Peter when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512-836-0590. Peter, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I'll be 62 in July, mm-hmm. and I have the majority of my cash outside my home that I own, I mm-hmm. have in a 401k Roth. So about 80% of my money is there. Mm-hmm. And I've been investing that in hard money, real estate backed loans, and I've been keeping my LTV at 55 to 50%. Mm-hmm. And I've been uh, very careful earning about. including my service fees. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to understand if I go heavier in that, because right now about 50% of that portfolio is there. If I want to go more, are there risks in that that I'm just not aware of? Well, the answer is uh, probably, uh, and that is that your return looking backward was in a historic period of falling interest rates. Um, And in a world where the 10-year treasury uh, was priced to yield 2% or less, you were getting spectacular returns at 10%. But with 30-year mortgages at 8% and 
and with a lot of commercial office space being uh, vacant, uh, I would think that you would have to have a better return going forward because there ought to be more risk in those simply because the market is softened up, there's more inventory, and also there's a lot of multifamily coming on. So I think the market, uh, if you were to, to increase your allocation and ha- increase your concentration, uh, the obvious risk is that, that while it may not well occur, you know, we could go into a bear market for real estate and you know those things can last five six seven years so i think the rising rate environment has a huge impact on stocks and bonds and real estate so i think the game has changed because of that there's something called the risk something called the risk premium in finance which is that uh when you own something that is illiquid you ought to get a higher return and the spread or difference between, say, liquid high-yield bonds and 10% is not nearly what it was looking back over the years you've done this. So I'd be really careful because I think high rates are going to be here for longer, and that's going to have more of a negative consequence to the real estate market. Other than that, you sound like you know what the heck you're doing, so I wouldn't talk you out of it. I just think I take it take it into to account we're in a very, very different interest rate environment than we've been in for the last four. 40 years. Okay. So from that, I'm hearing or thinking and the note that I'm making is that I will look into high-yield bonds and maybe um, diversifying my portfolio slightly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's very good evidence that when you have a period of Federal Reserve tightening like we're experiencing right now, and you have short-term rates of 5% plus, that and which is now a real return because it's above the rate of inflation. It doesn't happen very often. The cash returns uh, are consistently above the rate of inflation, and that's where we are. But when you when you go back and look historically, uh, and no one can call the peak, but the consequential returns in bonds. And I would say even you don't even need to take the risk of high yield bonds. The consequential returns in in uh, in investment grade bonds are really quite stunning for the next year, two or three. I mean, double digit returns, not from interest only, but from appreciation, because once the Fed policy changes, whether that's because they've conquered inflation or perhaps more likely we have a recession, then rates start to roll over and bonds that were priced yield five, six, six and a half, seven percent, all of a sudden really go up a lot in value because they're worth a lot more. So I'm thinking of a uh, of a fund that I follow that's a, uh, it's called a multi-sector bond fund, so they can buy high yield, but they can buy they can buy investment grade if they think that's where the value is. And it has about a 7.1, 7.2% trailing 12-month yield. That's the dividend divided by the current price. But I think you're looking at something like that having double-digit returns and you have daily liquidity. So I'd spend some time doing some homework. I'd look at what are called core bonds. I'd look at what are called core plus and I would look at what are called multi-sector. Those are all uh, Morningstar categories, uh, and I would say the multi-sector, given the fact that you are willing to take risk 
a quality multi-sector bond fund that allows the active manager to go where they think the value is, whether it's domestic or foreign, whether it's whether it's uh, what you might call developed markets or emerging markets, uh, that asset-backed securities. I think there's going to be some real opportunity over the next time period in that kind of investment, Peter. That's fantastic. I'll tell you, I actually pulled over to take this call, and it's been great. I've been taking notes, so I'm a student. I'm ready to go. Thank you. Okay, good luck. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I just read this also from Massachusetts Financial Services, a tidbit. The national average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage reached 8% on October 18th for the first time since June of 2000. I'm not a math major, but that's over 23 years ago. The current 3.1 percentage point spread between the 30-year fixed rate mortgage and the 10-year treasury yield is in the 97th percentile of all periods in the last 25 years. Okay, so what that, let me help unpack that. What that says is the difference between the 8% cost or, if you will, yield, the 8% cost of a mortgage and the yield on the 10-year treasury, that the difference between those two is is as extreme as it's been in the last 25 years. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, but I would suggest that there's in, in the world, there's always been a reversion to the mean. And that extreme difference, one of two things are going to happen. Either uh, 10-year treasuries are going to go one heck of a lot higher, or uh, the mortgage rate's going to come down. In either case, owning mortgage bonds um, beats the heck out of uh, or owning, owning cash, money market funds, etc. thought that was really interesting. The second piece I read was, according to a Redfin analysis, a home buyer must earn $114,627 per year to afford the median price U.S. home, which is about $40,000 more than the 2022 median household income of roughly $75,000. Because of sky high housing costs, 38% of recent home buyers under the age of 30 said they needed money from family to afford the down payment. And I'm not in the real estate lending business, uh, but I remember when you had to have a minimum of 20% down. It may be a lot less than that now. But I think that's a real indication of, of what's going on in the market. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We have our lines available, no incoming texts. The opportunity for me to bloviate for a couple of minutes before we go to the news, 512. 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. Well, let's just see what I can talk about here. As most listeners know, I have was a skeptic for the majority of the twenty nine years here on Money Talk and Gold, but did change my thinking about three years ago. And I was looking at gold exchange traded funds, and I'm not making a recommendation. The IAU, which is uh, which is sponsored by BlackRock and actually holds the metal, is up 9.89% on a year-to-date basis. Uh, then uh, the IAU Mini uh, is up 10.10%. So there's something to be considered there. Here's a text. Carl, the new Secure Act 2.0 allows for conversion of 529 plans to Roth IRAs. 
Do you know if this also applies to Coverdell Education IRAs? Or can a Coverdell be converted to a 529 plan and then possibly to a Roth? Other than cashing in with a penalty or converting to another beneficiary, what can be done with a Coverdell for a beneficiary that's not going to use the funds? I got to tell you, I've never been involved in a Coverdell plan. And I just, I don't want to say anything and guess because I don't know. I've never read that you can convert a Coverdell to a 529. I have read you have to put fresh cash into a 529, not securities. I also know that this conversion of 529 plans to Roth IRAs is in fact in the secure 2.0 as you as you show as you say but it's really complicated it's for a long term I think you have to leave the money in the in the 529 for a certain length of time and then it has to be in the Roth for a certain length of time but I'm sorry I cannot answer your question regarding the Coverdell it's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Stay around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 27 minutes. When you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download previous broadcasts. You can also do the same thing on the app SoundCloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, any updates on requirements for 1099-Ks for this year? Boy, I tell you, I'm not a CPA. I know I've got 1099s and I've got K-1s. I don't know about 1099-Ks. I just haven't uh, encountered that. I've not read anything in the financial press to indicate that the anything that the requirements for those have changed whatsoever. So I'm sorry, I can't be more helpful, but I haven't read anything. Let's see here. Here's another text. 512-836-0590. Here we go. Hi, Carl. Should I dollar cost average into U.S. bonds like I do for stocks? I am ready to get out of the money market on Monday and start buying 10-year notes. Thank you for a wonderful program. You're welcome. Um, yes. Um, I think if it's a sizable amount of money uh, relative to your overall financial assets, there's uh, no rush in this case uh, simply because of Fed policy, which is to stay at these rates higher for longer. Um, the current thinking consensus is the Fed will forego an interest rate increase this year because at their meeting, I believe, in early December uh, because of the bond markets, to some ways of thinking, doing the job for them because bonds have fallen and rates have risen without the Fed increasing the Fed funds rate. So I think you'd be looking into next year before you'd start to see a significant decline in interest rates. But you don't want to be timing it, so I, I'd either put it all in now, but I'm absolutely comfortable 
spreading it over time. I think the thing you want to be careful of is uh, paying close attention to the headlines, but rather the the essence of dollar cost averaging, whether you're doing it in a stock mutual fund, an exchange traded fund, or a bond or bond fund, is to do it on a regular basis with the same amount of money. So pick the pick the date, the business, the closest business date to the fifteenth of every month. I'm just making this up, and then putting the money to work, and you're actually hoping for volatility, or for actually prices going down and rates going up. So I think if you're ready to move out of money market funds on Monday, which with bond-type money, I think that's really wise. And buying the 10-year notes, it, it also makes a lot of sense to me as well. But if you have enough money to do it over time, then I think that's a good idea. You, now, I will say, uh, the I would answer the opposite this way. Um, if you are a regular saver and investor in your 401k plan, for example, uh, do not let the uh, period of time that you've seen your 401k balance decline because the U.S. stock market peaked in July. Don't get out, okay? <laughs> Don't pull the trigger and say, well, I, had, I was making money in the first half of the year and now I'm losing money, I'm going to get out. That is a terrible, terrible idea because no one's going to ring the bell and tell you when the time to get back in. I can assure you that a year ago this week, when we in the midst of a very bad bond market and a very bad stock market, no one would have suggested that you'd be up on the S&P 500 this year, even though prices have fallen uh, 8.59%, or that the NASDAQ would be up over 22%. So uh, don't trade that 401k, whatever you do. But if you're a dollar cost averager because you're putting your money in every pay period, then it's periods like this that when you look back in the, from the future, you're going to be glad that you were continuing to invest. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I've got a subject I'm going to visit about, bloviate, uh, unless and until you call or text, because I haven't talked about it in a long time. And I had the opportunity with my colleague, Lindsay, to uh, uh, do a see a webinar with a portfolio manager of a fund that, uh, that uh, we own. And... Uh, I, I, the argument has been going on for a long time, and it comes to owning stock funds, and I, and I put in this exchange-traded funds as well. Should I just own passively, just match the index, or should I have active management where I have human beings making buy and sell decisions in the stock portfolio? And there are certainly strong advocates on both sides. Certainly Jack Bogle, when he came, went to where he worked at Wellington and Asset Management, the story was in Boston, and he went to them many years ago and said, I'd like to start a mutual fund that matches the performance and the makeup of the S&P 500. And they looked at him and said, you can't be serious. And so he went off and started a small operation called Vanguard. And even though they do have actively managed funds, including a sum or one by Wellington, Nevertheless, they made their name and in indexing. And then along came Gene Fama and Ken French, uh, who got Nobel Prizes, and they said, actually, we think that if you tilt more towards value and more towards small cap over longer periods of time, you'll outperform. 
And that became the fundamental basis for Dimensional Funds Advisors, which are headquartered in in Austin. And so a lot of people in the academy uh, feel very strongly that you can't beat the market, and the best thing you should do is simply just match the market. And I would tell you that as part of a diversified portfolio, having allocation to passive, whether it's the S&P 500, the total stock market, the total international market, I'm 100% in favor of that. But I'm not prepared to say you can't beat the market because I think, as regular listeners know, I think there are two ways to have active management with equities. One is to outperform on the upside when times are good, or the other is to not go down as much on bad times when times are bad. So I'm looking at this fund. It's a large cap value fund. That's the designation that Morningstar gives it. So its benchmark is something called the Russell 1000 value. So those are the largest market cap stocks. Market capitalization is the price per share of a company's stock times the number of shares outstanding that meet what Morningstar calls value value criteria when compared to growth. Growth criteria typically are faster growing companies whose big earnings are further into the future. So this fund, been around a long time, and I looked at it, we listened to the portfolio managers and we looked at their performance. And let me just share this with you because I found it stunning. On a year-to-date basis, the Russell 1000 value was down, I think this is through September 30th, down 2.29%, active manager up 10.48. On a year, on a 12-month basis, the index down, I beg your pardon, the index up 1.18%, this fund up 10.46. Well, it could be a short-term phenomenon. Maybe just got lucky. So let's look at longer term. How about three years? The index, 8.74. This fund, 15.68. Let's just keep going. Five years, the index, 6.98%. This fund, 11.32. Well, this can't last, can it? 10 years, the index 7.51, this fund 10.16. And now 15 years, the index very attractive, 10.39, this fund 13.99. I just find that remarkable. This is a broadly available large cap value stock fund. So for those of you who have the time and the interest to do your own homework or choose to have an advisor, I'm 100% okay with using passive and having indexes, but I think that's not the end of the story. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I was thinking about the uh, Peter and talking about uh, what where he could look for additional yield. He'd been doing a lot of of uh, private debt instruments in real estate, and I dug up this uh, bar chart that says what happens to the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate. That's the kind of the standard and poor 500 of the bond market. And what happens to U.S. high yield when you get a peak in CD rates? Then what are the returns over the next 12 months? And these, there's one, two, three, four, five, six periods of time starting in 1984, uh, 40 years ago, uh, when the CD rate peaked. And these are the these are the returns. I'll just first give you the Bloomberg U.S. Ag the next 12 months, 30%, 12%, 18%, 13%, 6 and 
and the high yield, 27%, a minus 2, 19%, 4%, 12%, and 14%. Now, I'm not suggesting that you buy high-yield bonds. Everybody knows that how I feel about that. But nevertheless, I think it's a pretty interesting time to consider extending your maturity. So you're listening to Money Talk. I'm going to take a break. Another 15 minutes of me bloviating. That is unless you call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 12 minutes, and another 12 minutes of listening to my fascinating, monolithic, monotonic bloviation. 512-836-0590. Call or text. Okay, here we go. So uh, I talked earlier about the year-to-date return on a gold exchange-traded fund. From It has been, I would call it, a perennial question here on Money Talk about whether I should own gold. I think for many people, um, it has been in my 45-plus year career a place to go if you're frightened, a place to go if you think that the country's falling apart, the world's falling apart, whatever the case is. Uh, and, and I disagree with that. And I would tell you that uh, gold peaked in 1980, and today it's just under $2,000 an ounce. But uh, on an inflation-adjusted basis, having peaked at about $800 an ounce in 1980, it's still below uh, where it would be on an inflation-adjusted basis. And I may get into this a little later, but I have a call, so I always take those first. Rocky, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl, I just want to let you know I'm a big fan and listened to you for several, several years. Thank you. So very honored to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, question was uh, about inverted yield curves. Yes. Um, so it's indicative always of a possible recession, depression. Yes. Um, wow. He said the yield curve is crazy how much it's increased. Yes. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that... The track right for, for everybody else, because Rocky pays attention to this. So in a normal world, uh, which we're not in now for interest rates, the longer term the debt, the higher the yield. After all, if you're going to loan somebody money for six months and you know you're going to get it back, you're willing to accept a lower return than if you're going to loan somebody the money for 10 years. So when you look at the yields... Picture in your mind that the horizontal or x-axis is time. So on the far left corner, let's say, is six months, and the far right corner is 20 years. And then on the, on the y-axis or the vertical axis is the rate, the interest rate, or the yield on the debt. You would think it should go from lower left, because that's the shorter time period, lower rates, up to the upper right for longer time periods and higher rates. And that, it's never a straight line. It's always been a curve, the best I know of. But the yield curve goes from 
from from the lower left to the upper right, so it, it, it moves towards the northeast. And what Rocky's talking about is we've been in a sustained period here where you actually get higher returns. You observe higher returns for one-year and two-year treasuries, which are now priced to yield over 5%, than you do for the 10-year treasury or the 20-year treasury. That's a, that's a very unusual circumstance. It doesn't happen very often. And frequently, it can indicate uh, that the it can be a predictor, an indicator is probably a better term, of a recession. Uh, and that the thinking is that bond buyers are willing to take a lower return for a 10 or 15 year bond because they believe over that time there'll be a recession and interest rates will come down. Fed policy will bring rates down and bonds bought today will appreciate in value and those yields will not be available. So that's the theory. And so what happens is we have an inverted yield curve, but the current informa- the current economic numbers are stunning. You probably followed. It was like the GDP in the second quarter gross domestic product was up 4.9%, which is a remarkable number. And mm-hmm. they, we're just not getting the kind of weakness that we typically get moving into a recession. I think this latest labor contract that Ford agreed to with 25% period uh, over a period of time increase. And then you saw the airline pilots got, I think, I forget which airline might have been, United got a 40% increase in compensation over several years. So all of those things wouldn't happen in a recession because there'd be plenty of excess capacity in the labor market. But we've got a tight labor market. We have high interest rates, and yet consumers are continuing to spend. So I I happen to think that this can't go on. I color me skeptical. I think that we will have a softer economy. Now, Goldman Sachs came out and said they thought the odds were 50-50. So that means they think 50% chance it won't occur. But if it doesn't occur and inflation doesn't get down to that 2% target, and we got a long ways to go to get there, you can expect rates to stay at, a, at an elevated level for a longer period of time. I think as an investor, it's a it's a very good time to get into the that whole core bond area uh, where you've got more of a five to six year duration and take advantage of it because I think over the next period of time, whether that's twelve or eighteen months, yields are likely to come down and the re- returns you're getting now are not going to be available. But I you Correct. know I I could be mistaken. The, the, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. So you know I, the. I have two more questions. Uh, sure. I know you have so much short time. That's all right. Uh, so you've been doing this a very long time, and you're very well respected. Does this remind you of the 1970s with Paul Volcker, almost verbatim, like very similar circumstances? Or am I, I far off yeah. the mark? I think, I think the circumstances are very different in that we had some external shocks. We had what was called the Arab oil embargo, uh, which, uh-huh. really, which, which really changed the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, the two, the, we went into something called stagflation. They had to, had to invent the word because we had rising interest rates, we had inflation, we had a recessionary economy, 
with the two exceptions of, of the energy industry, it was a great time to be an energy investor or to live in <laughs> Texas, or commodities, particularly agricultural commodities. So farmland skyrocketed in value. Everything else was in trouble. So there were years and years and years of this, and the previous Fed gov- the previous Federal Reserve chair basically didn't do what Volcker was willing to do. And Volcker came in and basically said, I'm going to crush inflationary expectations. And the only way I'm going to accomplish that is I'm going to pay the heavy price and throw the U.S. economy into a recession. And that 10-year Treasury got all the way up to like 15%, and short notes got all the way up to 18%. And no, I think we're a long ways from that simply because the duration of this inflationary cycle is still very short when compared to what happened in the 70s. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then last question, what book do you recommend to read that you just, you know, recommend anybody to read very good basic knowledge? Yeah. Yeah. Economics. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to probably disappoint with my answer, but I, when I started out in this arena, I didn't know anything about investments and, um, I would tell you that I would tell anybody who's interested in the economy and interested in investments to take a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And okay. the, here's the way I would read the Wall Street Journal, uh, Rocky. I would uh, I'd read the down the left-hand column all of the stories. I'd read the uh, the front page, and then I'd start in the first section, and. I would re- I'd read the headline of each article because this is what I've been doing for 45 years, and where <laughs> yeah. and where it interests me, I read more. So throughout the week, there'll be on that second page there'll be a long piece on the economy. Sometimes it's written by a man named Greg Ip I P. Sometimes by a man named Nick Tamiros T A M I R O S. And if you if you read that. And you keep, you go through it, and you just read the stuff that that interests you, and you just do that. What you will find, six months from starting that, you will be have, you will have an amazing depth of knowledge. You'll have a you'll have a sense of global supply and demand for energy. You'll have a sense of the of, of the strength or weakness of the dollar. You'll have a strength or weakness of various aspects of the economy. Uh, you'll, you'll really develop, I think, uh, a broad understanding of both the domestic and to a lesser degree, the global economy. And, and too many books are trying to, they're either dry uh, and boring or they're, they're suggesting a particular point of view uh, how to make money or how to invest. And I don't think those are very helpful. So I think spending 30 minutes a day perusing the Wall Street Journal uh, is very valuable. And I re- that's what I recommend for you and, frankly, for everybody. Yes, sir. Will do. Okay. Hey, it's been a great honor. I really appreciate the answer the questions. Thank You're you very welcome. Time. Thanks for calling. I appreciate that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're down to our uh, last minute. So I'm going to tease you. Uh, uh, my colleague Lindsay and I ended up having a lunch with a Scotsman this week who's uh, been in the U.S. for many years and is in the hedge fund business. 
And I have always thought of hedge funds as only being for institutions and very wealthy investors and never really even paid much attention to it. I learned that actually there can be a hedge fund strategy in a traditional mutual fund. One of the benefits is that the fees are lower because they can't charge uh, performance fees. And if I get into bloviation next week, uh, good Lord, let's hope not, then I'll visit about that. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Patrick for doing stepping in and doing his usual terrific job as producer. And as always, to remind you that next Saturday after the news at 4 p.m., be sure and tune in to Money Talks. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 